This is a podcast by The Straits Times and Money FM 89.3. Time to turn our attention to headlines from around the region. And as always, helping us out is Leslie Lopez, regional correspondent for The Straits Times. Leslie, good morning. How are you? And good morning. I'm doing good. Doing good on this Wednesday. Nice to be speaking to you again, Leslie. And uh, we knew this issue would come up, right? Sooner or later, the dry run for the Singapore-Malaysia land vaccinated travel lane. This was conducted at the Johor Causeway yesterday morning. Uh, tell us more about how, e- how it went, uh, the new protocols and procedures that will be implemented. And surely you're making plans to come over huh, at some point. For sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, this is... Clearly something that, you know, everyone's looking forward to. The dry run went well. People are basically, they're trying to iron out details. And I mean, just, uh, if, and if all things go well, we could probably see this happening at the same time as a planned VTL between Changi Airport and Kuala Lumpur International Airport on November 29th. Mm. So a lot of people are anticipating that you know, things will work out well. I think both sides have been working very hard to try and iron out these details. And generally, the the response has been pretty good, actually, uh, what happened uh, yesterday's drive round. So I think we probably could see it taking place later this month. But I think it is not going to be the kind of numbers that, you know, pre-pandemic days. You know, we, we're kind of looking of just over 1,000, 1,400 maybe a day compared to several thousand, in you know, before. So... Uh, but I think we, this is a start. This would actually really be a boost for both sides, the economy on both sides. Yeah, yeah, got to start somewhere. Um, let's talk about the poor showing in the Malacca state election on Saturday where senior Pakatan Harapan leaders came to the defense of Datuk Sri Anwar Ibrahim about his leadership, uh, which was called into question. So out of the 28 legislative assembly seats that were contested, PH only took five. What went wrong there? Well, you know, Clearly, Anwar has been panned largely because I think he was insistent about taking on the defectors who caused the government, state government, to fall as candidates for the opposition alliance. Uh, but these were only, they were not the main reasons for the loss. Okay. More than 50% of the of non-Malays did not vote, uh, did not turn up to vote. Many, I guess, were frustrated with uh, the state of politics in Malaysia. Mm. And, you know, Malacca being very close to Singapore, a lot of Malaysians w- uh, were unable to come back to work too because they were working in Singapore and because of the travel restrictions. So, but closer look at the numbers also suggests uh, that very little has changed uh, in voter sentiment. Okay. You know, Amlo's um, victories were very, very close, suggesting that, you know, um, if you ignore the voter turnout, uh, I don't think uh, voter sentiment has changed that much. But this is clearly something that Mr. Anwar has to deal with over his, uh, you know, unhappiness over his leadership. And I think this is this time for soul searching for the Pakatan Harapan uh, leadership and also Pakatan Harapan itself. You know, mm-hmm. How it has to re-strategize if it's if it's going to deal with in the, it present itself in the coming coming election. 
Mm, certainly a confluence of factors there as well. Uh, let's yep. move to talking about Myanmar, Leslie. Myanmar's opposition recently revealed it had raised 6.3 million US dollars. This was on the launch of their inaugural bond sales. A revolutionary move, surely, to take down the ruling military junta. How will these funds be used against the military? How are they responding to the movement? Well, the military has not really responded officially on this, but I'm sure this only underscores how the opposition is growing and how they are responding to the military rule in very, very novel ways, actually. So already opposition groups are trying to encourage people not to pay taxes, join protests, a civil disobedience campaign, boycotts of army-linked businesses, even the national lottery. So all of this is going to be there. I'm, I'm sure for starters, at least, the, the money that is has been uh, raised and inter- interestingly deposited in a check, Czechoslovakian account, actually, mm. will go towards, you know, social media campaigns, all the kind of stuff. And so I think the opposition towards the military is evolving in very, very interesting ways. And we've seen this since the military took took over government, actually, or took over leadership in the country. Mm. So, I mean, this is just another way of memories uh, showing that they they will not stay stay quiet and oppose the, you know, the Hyundai. This podcast is available on our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us. And now, back to our podcast episode. We're on the line this morning with Leslie Lopez, regional correspondent for The Straits Times. Leslie, over in Indonesia, the counterterrorism agency there has warned that the Jama Islamia militants or JI militants were able to infiltrate mainstream religious organizations and government institutions as a new tactic towards achieving its goals. Okay, A, how did they do this and how did Para Weayanto's leadership sort of uh, influence uh, the JI's focus on combatants to religious propaganda and politics? Well, you know, JI has been has taken many forms in over the years. And since it was actually after the 9-11 attacks, you know, there was greater scrutiny on JI's activities. And since then, they've taken from, they've moved away from militancy to now infiltrating groups. And this, I think, is something that is, will need close scrutiny, will, will, and will need to be countered by the, by the Indonesian authorities. These groups are very, very convincing, you know, and I think, what is going to happen is that we're going to see there are many, many Muslim groups in Indonesia now that are sprouting out. And many of them are, you know, have, don't have militant tendencies. You know. But GI moving into these groups, getting them to, you know, indoctrinating them in different ways, in, in very soft, soft measures, is going to be something that the Indonesian government will have to really deal with this. You know, and I think associations like MUI, you know, which is a quasi-state body that receives state funding. You know, all of this, these groups are now being targeted by the GI. So this is really troubling, very, very uh, concerning. And I think uh, 
something needs to be done soon, you know. Mm, and certainly it's something we'll continue to watch. Uh, let's move to Thailand for now, Leslie. Apparently, despite opposition from some politicians and business groups, the country plans to join talks on membership of a Trans-Pacific Free Trade Agreement, the CPTPP, very much on the radar of many countries. Uh, explain this dynamic to us. Why is Thailand so interested in joining it now? Why are these politicians and business groups opposing the idea? Well, you know, Thailand wants, needs to, it's an open economy, needs trade, and, you know, needs to rebuild itself because of the pandemic. But typically, opposition groups, business groups, they kind of want that tariff-free access to other CPTTP uh, member countries could lead to, you know, flood of agricultural and pharmaceutical imports from some of those countries and harm local industries. This kind of opposition is always typical when, you know, countries try to pursue open trade. And you're always going to get uh, factions that are not happy because it's going to hurt their sectors. But it does look that Thailand is keen, given that China's already uh, filed an application to join this grouping, which has been signed by 11 other countries. You know, so I think there is not going to be very much stopping this. You know, Thailand will become a member, and I think local groups will just have to to have to accept that, you know, this is how trade is going to flow. Quick one, Leslie, this final piece about the Philippines resuming its military resupply mis- mission for their troops station on a uh, toll in the South China Sea. Uh, this after it was blocked by three Chinese Coast Guard vessels at the second Thomas Shoal last week. What do we understand about this and how will it affect the relationship between the two countries? Well, you know, the relationship has been, you know, kind of rocky, but, you know, both sides have been have been very, very basically considered that they need to basically make sure that relations are kept on an even keel. So Philippines have they've successfully transported uh, food supplies uh, to Marines guarding the disputed shawl. But while after the Chinese Coast Guard used, uh, you know, water cannons to try and turn back those boats, Philippines has talked to the Chinese ambassador and assured the country that the boats would not be blocked again. But, you know, this is going to be something that is going to evolve and both countries will just need to keep communication lines open. But this is not something that's going to go away. China forever is going to try and assert its influence in the area. And I think the Philippines is going to want to say that, you know, this is part of their territory and, you know, show that they control this place. So it's going to be an ongoing, ongoing matter. We've been speaking with Leslie Lopez, regional correspondent at The Straits Times. Thanks very much, Leslie. Thank you. The Asian Insider Podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us.